Welcome to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey with your host, Yasmina Ellens. Welcome to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey, where we take the skills, mindset, and attitude needed to achieve any entrepreneurial endeavor, whether you're just starting out or you're already on your journey. And now, our host, Yasmina Ellens. Hello and welcome back to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey podcast with your host, Yasmina Ellens. Now, today I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with amazing young entrepreneur, Milamo Banji, also known as Mills, who is the founder of leading social first creative agency, Tappin. He founded Tappin after dropping out of his aerospace engineering degree because he couldn't ignore his calling to disrupt the early career space and make a positive impact on the lives of other young people like himself. Tappin's mission is to prepare 100 million young people for the world of work. Now, Tappin won RAF Engineering, which to people who don't know what that is, Royal Air Force Engineering as one of its first clients before Mills even hired any team members. And less than two years later, Tappin's team has quadrupled and has had the pleasure of working with a whole host of other graduate employers, including BT, Capgemini, UBS, News in Europe, and EY, who also want to transform the way in which they attract and engage Gen Z talent in the social media age that we now live in. Tappin does this by creating the type of content that they know Gen Z are looking for, that's relatable, shareable, and most importantly, valuable. It's the kind of content that positions your employer brand not only at the top of their minds, but also in their hearts. Now, Mills is a really smart cookie, especially because he's been consuming a lot of gym quick lately. Uh, and he's done a ton of placements at big name companies such as Google, JP, Morgan Stanley. Oh, sorry, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley and McKinsey, just to name a few. And as an entrepreneur, Mills is a force of energy with a bright future ahead of him and has several hotshot mentors supporting him on his journey. Now, by the end of this interview, you will have a strong understanding of how to create a powerful brand You'll gain insight into how you can build a deep connection with the Gen Z audience, and you will feel that you too can reach into the hearts and minds of your target market. With that said, thank you so much for coming on today, Mills. It's I'm I'm really excited. Yasmina, honestly, I, I was just in awe. I have never had anyone introduce me like that. I feel so important. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so important. Like when you when you listen to your introduction, sometimes it just begs the question: like, oh, my, have I done all of these things? And when you hear somebody speak it, it just feels so good. So, no, thank you so much for the introduction, and, and a real pleasure to actually be part of the podcast. Amazing! I'm super excited. Yeah, it's my job to make you feel really important and cool, so you can <laughs> tell me all of your secrets. So... <laughs> hey, hey! So, my first question for you, Mills, is what originally got you onto your entrepreneurial journey? Well, that's a good question, actually. That's, that's a very good question. I think when I think back at how I kind of got into entrepreneurship, um, for me, I think back to how I was raised. You know, I initially think back to how I was brought up. I was brought up in, in Zambia. So I grew up in, in Zambia. In fact, I grew up in a place called uh, Highlands. It was this uh, really cool kind of farm, a, a piece of land that was... Uh, parallel to an international airport so I kind of grew up seeing all these aircrafts taking off and kind of landing all the time and uh, my parents were quite hard working you know my parents would would my, my mom had um, what would I call it she had a garden but she had so many different different uh, uh, fruits and veg she had like you had like uh, um, carrots in there you had all the different kinds of vegetables collard greens you had onions you had everything in there and I and I saw her really take that garden and build that into a business she would sell that to she would get the produce and she would sell that at the local market and it was just incredible to see that and I know I could I was helping out with the planting of the seeds we got into the garden would plant the maize would harvest it so I saw that growing up and I began to see you know, entrepreneurship or the, the the early inceptive stages of entrepreneurship when I was quite young. Um, and I think as I kind of grew and I, as I kind of grew, I began to really understand entrepreneurship. But I'd say, I think the early inceptions for me were actually watching my, my mother, you know, build that garden in the backyard and turn that into a business. And I think that was when the first 
uh, inceptive ideas for entrepreneurship actually came up for me. Hmm. That's pretty incredible that you got to see her from such a young age and you got to see this cute little innocent garden and then you could see it grow and flourish and develop into that business. That's really cool that you're exposed to that. Yeah, and yeah. um mm. Yeah, no, I was gonna say it's it's just it's it was so incredible because like what I saw was just not um it wasn't it wasn't normal, you know. Uh, my friends uh and their families had like typical jobs, or obviously working uh typical kind of uh, nine to five job my mom was actually doing that as well as the the kind of gardening business on the side and actually she then developed that further into doing some baking so she would bake really really like in zambia we have these pies these meat pies i i to this day if anybody brings me a meat pie as we are that's <laughs> that's the key to my heart so she'd make these really cool meat pies and she would sell them at the, at the at the at the market but it all started off by you know, um, that garden, which then grew into a bakery business. But just seeing her go through the early inceptive stages of, of entrepreneurship was, was just brilliant for me. That's pretty incredible. It's uh, it's exciting because in an entrepreneur, you get to see something start from the ground up and you get to see and build and watch something grow. I'm really curious. So you went to study aerospace engineering because you're really smart. <laughs> and what was then the trigger for you to decide, okay, this is cool, but I want to be an entrepreneur? Mm, mm. I think that's uh, that's it's one of those things that I've always been been thinking about. I know in my first year, I think to answer this question, we have to kind of understand why I went into doing aerospace engineering in the first place. You know, I mentioned obviously I had I lived on this uh, farm that was parallel to this international airport. So for me, that passion for aerospace came from seeing aircrafts kind of take off and land pretty much every single day. And I thought to myself, how do these massive objects these mechanical marvels how do they stay up in the air and i was like what nine ten and i was asking myself those questions and then i went to university and actually studied aerospace but i think within six months i kind of got the answer to that you learn about Bernoulli's, you understand <laughs> Bernoulli's law and, and you understand the 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 principles the the, the 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 physical principles that govern flight then after that i was kind of like great i've kind of I get it now. I know how these, you know, airplanes stay up in the air. What next? Um, and then, I don't know if you remember, but Amazon, a couple of years ago, were thinking about using drones for um, their delivery mm. service, right? We're thinking about using drones yeah. for delivery service. And I was doing aerospace, but I also love drones. I was a drone hobbyist. So what I would do is I would um, go on eBay and buy all the constituent parts, you know, for the drone. I'd buy the propeller, I'd buy the motor, I'd buy the um uh the all of the components that essentially create and uh allow us to actually build a drone and i'll be building that on the side so when i saw amazon do the whole delivery system and i knew i was doing drones i was like great amazon is trying to use that for parcels perhaps i could use that for advertising and i had this whole crazy idea of using drones um to create this whole new immersive advertising experience and, and actually I managed to, to to actually launch a business which I'll run for about you know a year and a half two years and um, that's kind of for me when I thought actually I love aerospace but this new idea this drone idea I love this so much and then I ended up going into like the early inceptive stages of, of marketing and and out of home outdoor advertising with with drone in um, and then I think that was for me that that stage where I was able to move away from doing my degree and start to actually move a lot closer into entrepreneurship. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 so funky to hear how how that transition, right? You had a skill, you were super excited to learn about it. And it's interesting because that's the nature of the entrepreneur, right? If you're a serial entrepreneur, you're like, let me build this thing, let me make it really awesome now that I've learned about it. Okay, let me learn about something else now. So some people stick with the planes for the rest of their lives. And you were kind of like, okay, well, I kind of figured out how they fly now. Now I want to fly to something else, which is uh, is really awesome. Um, so I'm wondering with with droning, what was it like building that up mm. from the ground? Mm. What was that like? Was it difficult? Were there struggles? Did you know anything about entrepreneurship? What was that journey like for you? It was... I knew nothing. First of all, I knew absolutely nothing about, like I knew nothing about business. 
my expertise lay on uh, the engineering side of things, the uh, the drones, how to build those. I knew nothing about taking that hobbyist concept and turning that into a business. <laughs> I knew absolutely nothing about that. And what I did was, um, you know, in university, you have the your, your entrepreneurial societies, you know, and at University of Manchester, we had uh, um, the Manchester Entrepreneurs, they were called. And uh, every March, they had this conference, which they called What Next, which was budding entrepreneurs or budding individuals that had uh, really cool ideas. Uh, they'll go to this conference and at this conference, you'd have lots of speakers and you'd have all these kind of different individuals there. And they'll teach you essentially about entrepreneurship and they'll share their own journeys, right? They'll share their own experiences, their journeys um, on uh, entrepreneurship. And I attended that. And I think for me, that was the first opportunity where I actually got to hear entrepreneurs firsthand, you know, understood some of the concepts of building the business, understanding things like, you know, building the, um, building your, your business plan and the elements of business plan and the importance of that, the importance of research and market research and understanding your audience and bringing all of that together. Um, and I think after that, I then thought, actually, I don't know anything about business or entrepreneurship. But this has given me at least the stepping stones, giving me the, the fundamentals I need to start. And I think within about um, a week of that event, I just put my head down and I wrote something like a, a 30 page kind of business plan, which is kind of run through all the kind of details of that first business. And then, um, yeah, I was I was there. I had an idea and then I had a 30 page business plan and I was thinking, what next? <laughs> mm. Yeah, you're like, okay, now I have the plan. What are the steps, right? <laughs> what are the steps yeah exactly um, that yeah it's it's really cool to hear because so many people when they so many people are afraid to take that first step because they think well i don't know i don't know the solution i don't know how to do this and something that they don't take the first step what i find is really exciting about people who are entrepreneurial is they're like well i don't need to know the outcome mm. i follow the journey right and I take yeah. that step and then I take the next step and then I make a mistake and then I learn something and then I try again and then I fail yeah. here. Then I learn something. Then I try again. Then I succeed. Then I get a mentor. The mentor tells me what to do. And instead of thinking, I need to know the goal and I need to know how to reach every step of the goal so I can achieve it. They think really, really big. You're like, I'm just going to create this drone <laughs> marketing mm -hmm. advertising company right yeah. and uh you just have this like crazy idea and you're like well i don't need to know all the steps i'm just yeah. gonna take the first step which yeah. is really really exciting exactly and it really brings me back to uh one of the key concepts of, of a book that I, I read before and it's called the, the the lean startup and it talks about this uh you know build measure learn cycle where as a startup you're not really you're not taking time to go away and uh build this perfect product you know build it and they will come you know it's it's, it's really moving away from that and i know sometimes when, when people start businesses or when an entrepreneurship or when entrepreneurs go into business they're thinking about building the perfect product you know thinking about what's the perfect product that we can go to market with that everyone's gonna love but actually the lean startup talks about you know this whole concept of, of, of building learning and then measuring so build a product but constantly be learning constantly be iterating changing that product go to market um get lots of feedback from your consumers from your audience um and then learn from that and then continue that loop you know um and that tends to be the structure that the most successful startups actually uh, <clears throat> have implemented and without knowing it actually that was something that i was doing in uh, my first business and also in my second business right now it was like i was constantly just just, just going out there and, and, and like you said actually I didn't know what the end goal was. I had no idea what we were going to build, but I knew that actually what I can do is begin, start, I can begin something and then iterate, you know, iterate consistently until I get to a position where, you know, what we're building makes sense and it's actually got a good product market fit. Yeah, 100%. With the Lean Startup, right? It's about, let me just go test, test, test. Let me interview a bunch of people. Let me observe people in random aisles in the supermarket to observe their shopping behavior and just literally being so out in the field. I think it's really interesting when people get so married. This is a problem when people get so married to like, here's my idea and here's a solution. Yeah. <clears throat> and and if you think that way, then well, what if there isn't actually a market for it? Or what if there isn't a need? What if it doesn't solve the problem? 
And when you do the lean way or the, the design thinking approach, mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, well, let me just build something that really works and really fulfills a need. 100%. And I think one of the, the barriers that stops a lot of founders or entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs from, from doing quite well or for actually launching businesses is exactly that fear. You know, it's a fear that actually, you know, um, when I do build something, the audience might not come, you know, but actually when you're building something, you should constantly be testing, constantly be going out to market, constantly be collecting information and data to validate your hypothesis. Because once you have that data, you're then able to build a product that not just your audience wants, but, you know, you have to understand that audiences are constantly changing. You know, um, a startup's uh, target audience is constantly changing depending on market forces and, and the kind of systems and environments that they're actually in. So when you launch a business, it's it's so important to just be out there testing, testing your product, speaking to the audience and just ensuring that the data that you're actually capturing um, makes sense and allows you to, 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 to justify and validate those hypotheses. Mm, 100%. I think it's really cool because you stayed in the marketing space. You went Mm. from drones to helping prepare, helping employers and brands connect with Gen Z audiences, which I think is really, really cool. What, what got you onto that? What, how did that become your mission and your new inspiration? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because, um, after launching drone in, which was, you know, uh, for context, it was this uh, crazy idea, which I had, which I wanted to use drones as a means of advertising. You know, I pretty much wanted to have a drone flying on every street, every corner with, uh, it sounds absolutely, sounds like we're in, uh, we're in 2040, <laughs> but it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. So it was like having these drones flying by um, <clears throat> on, on roads, you know, with these banners uh, or digital ads, I'd call them. And the whole idea was to create this very immersive advertising experience where the user is actively immersed with uh, adverts. So rather than seeing an ad, or seeing several ads and then, you know, remembering that actually I saw this ad earlier on, let me make the purchase now. It was actually about getting consumers to purchase or to make purchasing decisions immediately. So you'd see a drone, it might say you've got 70% off um, ASOS, you know? So the moment you connect to the drone, you get that code to get 70% off ASOS immediately. And um, I think I went from, from doing that to then thinking actually, you know, this is great, but then things like legislation come in the way and bureaucracy comes in the way. And then, you know, at the time, drones were not really regulated and it was a very difficult space to kind of operate in. And, you know, I had conversations with the CAA, so the Civil Aviation Authority, and they came and said, Mills, we love the concept, we love the idea. But at, at the time, the legislation just didn't exist to really facilitate the use of drones in, uh, <clears throat> in, in in civilian crowded areas. So what we ended up doing was we tried to pivot it into a, a platform, you know, a marketplace where you can go onto there, you can hire a drone operator. If you needed a surveyor for agriculture or for video production or for um, your property videos or anything, <clears throat> that didn't work as well. So after a year and a half, I just kind of said, actually, this isn't working. And I think we realized that this wasn't going to work. And that's when the internships came in. And then I had the opportunity to kind of intern at the likes of that kind of Google. I was at, you know, JP Morgan and, and, B, and BP and all these companies. And what that gave me was just a, a contrast, a difference, you know. So I had spent some time already building businesses and uh, building my first business thrown in and seen how much I enjoyed that and, and how much flexibility and freedom I had with that. And then on the other hand, we then had... Um, um internships where i was working within an organization you know and i was uh, exposed to very very different uh market forces different different individuals um and what i very what I realized quite quickly was that structure wasn't one that i was very suited to uh, i tend to describe some, i tend to describe myself as somebody who's who's got lots of ideas i like to to see a, a, a problem and really think about how that can be changed and, and action that pretty quickly but working in these corporates, it was like I would identify something and it would go back and forth. I'd be actively involved in the change process, but it would take me months just to have a conversation. And then that conversation takes me a step back. And then I go through another hoop and it takes. So like I realized very quickly that if I wanted to enact change on a national, on a global level, what I really, really had to do was to really think about how I can be the um, initiator of that change. Um, and I think it wasn't clear when, when I was doing the internship what that would look like. What, what we're currently doing today with Tap In was not clear at all when I was doing the internships. But when I did come out of those internships, 
I went back on campus and um, people were asking me, Mills, how did you get Google? Like, how, how did you get into JP Morgan? You're, you're doing aerospace engineering. And these were my peers. These were, you know, aerospace engineering students, perhaps one of the most, you know, obviously, most smartest or you could, you know, most intelligent people on uh, um, at, at university. And they would ask me these questions. Mills, how did you get these internships? And I would have these small sessions, Yasmina, where I would, I would talk to them for like 10 minutes and be like, this is what you need to do for your CV and your cover letter and interviews and so on. And then that's what then grew into um, tap in. But essentially it was, and it was almost like an, an accident, but I think, I guess, realizing that there was a need for what we are producing, which is supporting young people with careers. There was such a need for that because what existed at the time was your forums. I'm sure you remember student room um, at university. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all going student room, you know, would spend so much, would ask questions after an exam. That was a place everybody went to, 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 to get those answers. But I thought actually there has to be a new way of being able to engage with young people. You know, forums, blogs and articles, are they sit as an archaic way of engaging with, with young people. Um, and I saw that actually there was an opportunity here with, with social media and uh, and all the different social channels to really engage with young people, particularly with providing them with uh, careers information. Mm. It's really awesome to hear your journey from drone in to the internships to to tap in. And I definitely want to dive into that engagement with the Gen Z audience. But before I do that, I have to ask about all of those internships, right? And I'm going to ask you what the people asked you when you came back to the campus in Mills. Mm-hmm. How did you get all those? Because I think a lot of young people are are confused, right? And uh, I even think for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial people, uh, you some some really want to go to one of these big companies so that they can work around the smartest people and really learn a skill set, right? And so I'd be really curious to know what uh, is the top piece of advice or the top few pieces of Mm. advice that you can give to someone who's going out for the kinds of those kinds of big companies yeah 100 percent. i think um the biggest piece of advice i would give is is to really be unique number one but i think also really be self-aware and understand where your value actually lies and be honest with yourself about that what i did for myself was i would approach people um on linkedin and i would also go to tons of these campus events and really speak to people, meet them in person, because I understood that actually the reason why companies come on campus is because they actually want to speak to um, students and actually see the talent before they actually uh, can work there. So I'd make sure that I was going out there, speaking, I, I was going to networking events, I was speaking to a ton of different people and really understanding them, you know, investing time in them, building those key relationships with them, um, jumping on coffees with them, but I think what also helped was um, my academics and my academic background was was quite good, which meant that actually when I did apply, I had already qualified. But I think academics on their own aren't enough. You know, when it comes to landing a job, I think everybody now gets the academic side of things. Everybody will get their A's and A stars. Everybody will do the extracurricular things. But it's about how can you take that a step further and build relationships? You know, how can you really build genuine relationships with people um, and begin to actually show them something that most people won't, you know, which is you know, take them, if it means jumping on a, on a Zoom call with somebody and having that one-to-one to really get to know them, if it means going for a coffee, I know things are opening up now, going for a coffee with them. Um, and I think differentiate yourself. And then I think being self-aware, like I said, and being aware of where your strengths really lie, you know, what value can you really bring, not just to that organization, but to that individual who you've connected with and then leveraging that um, <clears throat> to really build your way into these organizations. Um, and I think what was also important is, 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 is really having a real understanding of the spaces that you're going into. So if you're going into banking, um, understand the space that you're going into. Networking and, and having good grades isn't, isn't going to cut it when you're working on the sales and trading floor and you've got to do lots of regression models and analysis. You, you really have to understand the space you're going into as well. Uh, but I think once you couple all those together, um, you've got the right ingredients for success. Yeah, definitely 100%. I think def- like understanding the space and the tasks and the skills is important because, I mean, understanding what you're saying, right, is understanding their reality, yeah. understanding the reality of the company, understanding the perspective of the people who work there and the employers 
um, I think is so, so, so important because when you can understand their reality, you can then communicate with them more effectively. When you take the time to build those relationships and and take that coffee when most people wouldn't or proactively seek it out, then they will tell you what they need. And when you know what they need, then you can understand how you can communicate your value to be like, <laughs> I'm exactly what you need. And then, right? And it's when you build those genuine connections as well and not just focus on work, 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 but actually build that deep connection. <laughs> then they, they, you never know. They might be in the ear of the person who's hiring and say, yo, this person's really awesome. And that might get you the job. Like relationships are everything. I wouldn't, I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> you know, I think when you understand that uh, the number one basic need and want from every human is to be loved and appreciated. Every single human being strives to be loved and appreciated. I think even before you think about an internship or you think about any business engagement or clients, how can you first <clears throat> make somebody feel loved and appreciated? Take this podcast as an example. You started this off by giving the most extraordinary of introductions. I have never had anybody introduce me the way you had. And I think that really set the, set the tone for the rest of the conversation. I think when you do mm -hmm. take a little bit of thought to do the research, the background research into somebody to really understand them, it really does set you apart. Because when you understand the basic intrinsic needs of humans, which is like, you know, every person, you know, strives to be loved and appreciated, when you can work on that and realize that it absolutely changes your game and it absolutely changes your perspective and your mindset when you do go into these conversations and, you know, you can really set yourself up for real success. Mm. Definitely, definitely super important. I had a genius point, but I forgot it. So <laughs> I will I will move on. But uh everything you said is hundred percent true. Five minutes. I remember it now. <laughs> as soon as you decide to not think about it, it immediately comes back. I love how the brain works like that. Um yeah, I just want to say to to aspiring entrepreneurs who are listening as well, right? Like don't think this is just a corporate thing, this is a universal human principle. And maybe maybe there's uh, someone that you really admire who's building a business, maybe someone like Mills, uh, maybe someone else. Um, if if you can use you can use those same principles to work under that entrepreneur to understand, okay, how do you build that business? Okay. And then learn the relevant skills. So it's definitely something that is universal, which is really, really powerful. So coming back to what I was saying earlier before I delve mm -hmm. back into that about connecting with Gen Z audiences, right? Yeah. How can companies or entrepreneurs or people in general really connect and engage with the Gen Z generation? Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. I think the, the best place to start is always understanding. You know, I think before any change can be made or before um, any strategies or systems can really be implemented, there has to be an understanding piece. There has to be a conservative effort from anyone, if it's an organization or brand or an individual um, who wants to understand generations that is, but before you can figure out how to engage with them, you have to first understand them. What I mean by that is, you know, understanding their needs, their wants, you know, the trends, how they think, their behaviors, the kind of platforms that they spend most of their time on, you know, and once you understand that, you can then take that apart and begin to really think about strategies which you can really be implementing to attract and engage Generation Z to, to anything, to your brand, to your organization, to whatever you're doing. You know, But I think data is so important. And I think the alignment and understanding sits as the central core requisite to success when it comes to Generation Z. Um, and then the, the second one is then understanding where to find them. You know, where do you find Generation Z? You know, we've had so many... I've had conversations so many times with uh, um, organizations that will say, actually, you know what, um, uh, we're, we're running loads of ads on, on LinkedIn, for example. We're, we're doing lots of work on, on LinkedIn to find Generation Z. But actually, when you look at LinkedIn, you know, we can only see that there's, a, there's between 20 and 23% of, of, of Generation Z actually spend their time on, on LinkedIn. So being able to understand where to find them, platforms, 
you know, what platforms are they on? We know that they're on TikTok. We know that they're on Snapchat. We know that they're on Instagram. You know, when you focus on honing on those three platforms in particular, you can then begin to understand a bit more about the audience. You know, if you look at recent data coming in, you know, I think just about two days ago, as of recording two days ago, <clears throat> data came in showing that by the end of 2021, actually, um, um, TikTok will now have more Gen Z users than Instagram. You know, and in comparison, TikTok is a fairly new platform in comparison to Instagram. And then actually uh, by 2023, TikTok will have more users, more Gen Z users than Snapchat, you know, by 2023, which is absolutely incredible. So I think once you understand the platforms that these uh, that generation that Gen Z actually are on, you can then begin to think about your strategy. So the first thing to, to first do is to understand them, you know, build that understanding of, of the audience first of all so you can align your goals to to theirs and you can begin to build strategies that are effective and then second of all find out exactly what platforms that they actually use what platforms are they on you know and then the third one i'll say is execute you know and by execution i'm talking about how do you reach them you know are you producing content that's on tiktok are you, are you producing uh, a reels content on uh, on Instagram or you know are you producing an influencer campaign you know are you working with influencers to really engage with them you know so once you follow those three kind of uh, stages would really recommend that and I'd personally recommend those uh, when it comes to engaging with Generation Z once you follow that structure um, and you understand the 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 understanding piece the data collection and then you can move on to <clears throat> um, the second piece on understanding the platforms that they're on and then the execution those three sit as a central requisite to success with Generation Z. 100%. I think you can even say that that is the formula for targeting, engaging any target market that you want to engage, right? Understand them, why they're <clears throat> hanging out, and then execute on the appropriate strategies, which is really, really cool. And um, so let's say, let's say I'm on TikTok now, or I'm on Instagram, on one of these two. Yeah. What content have you found that is the most engaging, the most shareable, the most valuable, the kind of content that really connects with the Gen Z audience when I'm on that platform? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think the first thing to understand is that these platforms are constantly changing. You know, um, a year ago, Instagram introduced Reels, which was a borrowed concept from TikTok. Now Reels is absolutely taken off. You know, so you can see the usage of Reels is just completely shot up. Every single creator now is using Reels. But if you'd asked me the same question a year and a half ago, I'd have said videos. I'd have said, you know, IGTV perhaps, you know, was great or um, going live. But I think the one thing to understand, first of all, is that these platforms are constantly evolving. They're constantly changing. You know, these these uh, um, these tech companies are introducing new and cool features to really be engaging with this audience. Um, on TikTok, what we tend to find is that content that tends to fit in with uh, gens and culture. You know, when you look at trends, look at look at what's happened on TikTok. There will be trends that are on there. You know, there might be a trend on um, jobs, perhaps. There might be, I know right now there's there's a, there's a massive trend around uh, getting a, a new job where people are posting lots of really cool, imaginative, creative content on uh, on TikTok around getting a new job. But there are tons of these. There are hundreds of these trends on on TikTok. And I think mm. for success, um, study these trends. Study what these creators are actually producing. You know. Um, and understand the formula for success and then try and replicate that. If you're an individual, uh, I'm looking at this from an, an, individual, uh, an individual's perspective, you're looking to you know, produce some content on TikTok, for example, or build a brand or be an influencer, look at what's already working. You know, jump on particular hashtags. Sounds are great on TikTok. There are particular sounds that people jump on. And once you understand what those are, jump on those, uh, engage with the audience. And if you're a brand, um, try and see how you can actually engage on that platform by understanding exactly, like I said before, like the, the the tags, the hashtags again, the sounds and what's trending, you know, understand what's trending and what the culture, what does Gen Z culture on each platform say? The culture on TikTok is very different to the culture on Instagram. You know, the, the kind of posts that Gen Z are making on, on, on Snapchats are very different to posts that they're making on TikTok and very different to that they're making on on Instagram. So I think when we look at all three platforms across, we look at why it's important for us to be on those platforms. And it's because 
you know, we'll look at things like trends, we'll look at things like hashtags, we'll look at things like the types of content. I think once you understand those, you can then begin to have success with the audience. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, super interesting to hear about how the cultures are all different, right? Yeah. Uh, I find it so interesting how you can just take, you, you can just take a platform that's like, hey, we connect people, but it does it in different ways. And then because of the nature of the platform, people, uh, you know, whole different cultures emerge. I find that so fascinating. I've never thought about it like that before. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. It's like different kind of uh, ecosystems as well. Like you find there are creators who we find who are just on TikTok. You won't find them on Instagram or they'll post very different content on Instagram. In fact, you wouldn't even think it's the same, you wouldn't even think it's the same creator. Because what they're posting on TikTok is completely different because the landscape there is drastically different to what you have on the platform like instagram for example so they might be going viral they might be doing really cool funny videos on uh, on tiktok and they know that the audience there on tiktok love that and they know that the culture there on tiktok is conducive for their type of content so they'll stay on there you know so beginning to understand those those different shifts shifts in culture and what platform brings what is it, so important mm, definitely I'm curious because you've obviously had several years of marketing, building a marketing agency and, and madroning and all that kind of stuff. What are some of the most powerful lessons in marketing that you have learned in that time? It's mm. a very good question. The, the first thing I would say is, is the power of marketing to change people's perspectives. You know, I think mm. we at marketers have the power to really change what people think about particular products, services, organizations, people, systems. And I think with that great power comes great responsibility as well. You know, one of the most important things that I've learned is actually that as marketers, we have a responsibility. You know, we have the power to change communities, to change society. But I think there's also a responsibility that we have on our shoulders to ensure that you know, we are doing things um, ethically. You know, we are running campaigns ethically and where we're thinking about, for us in particular, we're always thinking about the next generation. You know, we're always thinking about young people. We're always thinking about the impact that what we're doing has on the audiences that we're working with. So I think one of the biggest lessons I'll probably, I'll definitely say um, when it comes to marketing and one of the biggest lessons I've learned in marketing is that we have a responsibility. You know, we have a duty and a responsibility to be able to, um, operate in ways that are ethical um, and allow for us to really engage uh, authentically with our audiences. That's really, really interesting and, and definitely true because marketing is applied psychology. And so it's it's really interesting to see how marketing shapes the world and shapes thoughts and shapes the mind and shapes the amount of advertisements people see every day. I can't remember the exact figure. Maybe you've got a more correct figure, but mm -hmm. the last one I remember seeing that the average amount people see a day is something like 3000. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's so accurate, but yeah. it, whatever it was, it was high. <laughs> it was high. It was around that. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy. And I think it's really powerful what you say that um, about responsibility and duty, right? Um, super fascinating. It's really interesting because you know that that number at three thousand. Some some sources say five thousand. Some of them say six thousand. But the, the general consensus here is that you know we we are exposed and we are bombarded with a ton of different types of, of advertising media. And you know if you look at a platform like Facebook and you, you you talk about psychology and you talk about you know the responsibility that we as marketers have. You know if you look at what um, Chamath did at uh, at Facebook with. Uh, you know, engagement and, 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 and building the growth, the growth channels at, uh, at Facebook, you know, they really delve deeper into psychology and human psychology. They really delve deeper into understanding the impact that something like the feed has on people's uh, consumption and their dwell times on platforms, you know. But then mm -hmm. if you think about the adverse effects of spending time on Facebook, you know, we've seen lots of young people be affected by things like mental health because they spend a lot of their time on Facebook. You know, they spend a lot of time on Instagram, you know, and if you think about how these platforms are actually built, sometimes they're, they're built to, they're built with the purpose of keeping those users on the platform, you know, because that's how advertisers actually make their money. You know, if they're a platform is attractive, you can spend lots of time on there. 
they're going to make more money because they've got more eyeballs to actually sell that space to you. You know, so I think when we understood that and when I understood that, I really took that back and said, you know, we have a responsibility here as an organization. You know, we have a real ethical responsibility to ensure that what we're doing from marketing perspective um, is, is supporting our audiences. But I think more importantly, it's, um, it's, it's conducted in a way that provides longevity and, and supports the audiences that we're looking to engage with. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day, it helps and it, it helps more than it hinders. Hopefully it doesn't hinder at all, right? It's super interesting what you're saying is totally right. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, LinkedIn, maybe not LinkedIn. But like all these social media platforms, they are made to keep you on there. Mm. Like the more of your life that you spend on there and not in your life, it's yeah. beneficial to them, right? So it's super interesting how you say that. And I think it's, it's a really fascinating perspective. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a responsibility here, not just from these tech companies, but I think also from marketers, you know, from marketers alike to ensure that the way we're running campaigns and the way we're building these channels and kind of growing and working with clients is done in an ethical way. Totally agree. Totally agree. So I'm curious about you, Mills, right? Some sources tell me that you have a lot of mentors. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that you're collecting them like Pokemon, which I think is awesome. <laughs> and so I would, I would love to hear how, how have mentors served you uh, in your life, your business, why are they important? And how have you gone about building those mentor-mentee relationships? 100%. I think, you know, it's, it's so important, um, first of all, to acknowledge as an individual or as a entrepreneur to acknowledge first of all that you can't do everything on your own my mom always says you know no man is an island my mom always says to me from a very young age i never really got it from a very young age she'd always say remember that no man is an island i thought it was quite funny actually at the time when she was saying it and i never really got it but i think as i as i grew up i began to really understand what she meant by that and it's it's speaking to you know the intrinsic human need for support you know um you can spend time on your own uh you can build and you will go fast but if you can build together and have the collective support of people around you you can go far so mentorship for me has been so important really 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 fundamental to my own personal growth and development but i think also the growth the scaling of of our own business because what mentorship allows you to do is to um Tapping to people that have had the knowledge and the expertise and have had the time and have failed and have been through the same journey that you've been through um, and they can support you through that. But I think, you know, it's it's not just a one way stream. It's actually a two way stream. And, and something that I began to kind of learn later on was mentorship actually um, is it's, it's, it's a two way system. You're providing as much um, support and kind of help and um, um, guidance to your mentor as they're doing to you. I never really understood that. And I thought to myself, look, I'm like, what? I was like 18, 19, quite young. What can I give to them? But there's so much you can do. There's so much you can do. You know, if somebody wants to mentor you, you know, try and find ways in which you can help them with what they're doing. You know, do they need some help with social media? Do they need some help with branding? Do they need some help with copywriting? And try and find a way that you can obviously be able to give back to them. Um, and I think always just appreciate the time because it is a sacrifice. Appreciate the sacrifice in time that they're actually given to you um, in order for you to kind of grow and develop. Um, now, now, speaking to mentorship and, and how I kind of uh, really realized the power of mentorship, that's a very good question, actually, as me. I think um, for me, it's a, it was an interesting kind of story a couple of years ago where I had just pivoted out of my degree and I was looking to do business, kind of uh, really going to do doing business. And uh, I uh, I met somebody from a networking event and they were like, Mills, um, I know somebody who's just, you know, I think they've just sold a business or I think they've just they've made a, a massive property purchase or property sale, I beg your pardon. And they were like, this guy has a lot of, you know, capital. You should really approach him because that could be your your startup money. So, you know, as I was just, I just came out of uni. I was super hungry, super excited. I thought to myself, right, I've got to find this person, right? <laughs> I've got to find them. So I called up, uh, called him up. Uh, we arranged some time. We met in person 
and uh, we met and he said to me, he, he was a uh, head of sales at one of the big uh, sales companies. I think it was Thomson Reuters, I believe. And uh, he was quite straight up. So we met within the first kind of three or four minutes. He was like, right. And he was, what do you want from me? So I was kind of there thinking, uh, <laughs> that is a very ballsy question. Um, and I, I thought, great, he's coming with that kind of energy. I need to give him the kind of energy back as well. So I was like, I'm looking for a hundred thousand pounds investment in my business. <laughs> uh, and he laughed at me. He did. <laughs> he laughed and rightfully so. And I was kind of thinking, did I make a joke? <laughs> is, is, is something like is something funny? And he laughed at me and he was like, Mills, look, I, I can't give you a hundred thousand pounds, right? I can't give you that at this stage. Um, so you're, you're, you're still on the acceptative stages of your business. There's still a lot of work that needs to get done. And he said, what I can give you instead is mentorship. And I kind of froze and I thought, mentorship? That was not what I came here for. I came here for a hundred thousand pound investment. Um, but he was, he was quite adamant. He said, Mills, actually, you know, I can give you mentorship and it's going to be really useful for you. I kind of reluctantly accepted and I went back thinking, I haven't got how I failed. You know, I met an investor and, you know, I didn't quite get it. And I was quite sad. But then he started to mentor me. And then I think within the first year of him mentoring me, we actually made £100,000. And that's when it really st- struck in my head. And I thought to myself, wow, this is absolutely amazing because, you know, he's equipped me with the skills and the knowledge and expertise that is necessary for me to go out there and be able to build a business and, and learn what needs to be learned for success. So when I realized that, I thought, actually, I need to find more of these. You know, I, I need to find, I need to find more of these. And, and you know, I know you mentioned about the Pokemons and collecting mentors like Pokemons, <laughs> which I find quite funny actually. Um, but I think I, 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 I'm at the stage now where I think um, I've got something like between 15 and, and 20 different mentors that are in, in different areas that do different things. Um, and I think you know, as much as I see them as as mentors. Um, I always try my best to try and give back to them, you know, um, as a function of, of the sacrifice that they've given to me. Um, but I think it's it's so important to be able to to recognize that mentorship is is, is a two way stream. It's it's not just a, uh, an individual who's sacrificing their time and their commitment to you. It's actually thinking about what you can do for them. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, one of the things that I found with mentors as well is obviously you could try and help them out with a skill or you can make introductions and stuff like that. But a bizarre and interesting thing is that people who are mentors have usually had a significant amount of success in their life. So now they're at a, their cup is so full that they're just like, I just want to give, I just want to help the right people out. (laughs) I just want someone who's young and hungry and help them break through barriers and break through belief and achieve something real. And so what I've found is just being the best possible student you can be and just being there and eager, enthusiastic, whatever they tell you to do, you do that, you do it. Because if you don't do it, then they're like, well, why did I bother? Why did I bother giving my time, my energy? And they feel that sense of warmth, giving that impact which i think is also a wonderful thing that you can do if you can show that you're an amazing mentee then there will be several mentors falling over their feet and excited to to actually help you out and help you accomplish your goals which is also a really awesome thing i'll definitely add to that as well and say actually that, that being part being part of what makes a really good uh mentee is the your ability to listen you know, um, listening to advice and taking it on board and being accountable for that advice. So if you meet with a mentor and they give you some advice, get it done and then be accountable and say, this is what I've done. Since our last conversation, I've actually been working on this. Be accountable and show them that actually that their investment that they're making in you isn't a wasted one. You know, actually go back to them and say, look, since our last conversation, I know you spoke about these points and you said I should change this, this, this. I've taken that on board. I've implemented this. And this is where I currently am. They're now thinking, wow, I spent an hour with this individual a week ago or two weeks ago. And everything I said was actually noted. They listened to me and they've actually gone and enacted the feedback that I gave them. 
that will allow them and incentivize them probably incentivize the wrong word, but it will encourage them actually. It would really encourage them to continue supporting you because they know that they're actually being listened to and you're taking that um, advice and bringing it to uh, to life and actually making it uh, uh, making it real. And what they will do is that they'll open up their network to you. You know, they'll be more inclined to do even more things for you because they know that that investment or that sacrifice that they're putting in you isn't going to waste. Definitely. And and also in terms of value, I've just been, I, I nerd out so much about this. Um, I've just been thinking, right? So one of my mentors, really successful, really awesome guy, has has literally said he's investing in my business partner and I like his stock, like as if we were a stock. Because wow. when you take someone who is who is young and hungry and you can see that in your eyes and you think, okay, this person is going somewhere. This mm-hmm. person is going to be big this person is going to be successful when someone is thinking that then they're like okay well if i help this person out now early in their journey when they're when they become way more successful and really big then they can help me out and in the future they'll invite me to something cool they'll make a really powerful introduction maybe you'll become even more successful than your mentor right which is uh, an extremely powerful thing so that's another really interesting way to look at it it's but uh, I was going to just say, it's really interesting how when you look at billionaires, they spend all of their life making tons of money, right? They spend so much of their life building so much money. And then once they're so rich, they give it away. It's such an interesting concept mm. that they, they all give, Warren Buffett has given away something like 95% or 99% of his wealth. He's a billionaire. You wouldn't really understand that. But again, it's that concept that you, that you spoke about, which is, you know, you spend so much time accruing lots of value and, and accolades and, and wealth, but then you're actually just looking for those people that are hungry. You're looking to, you know, really push that 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 energy and that support that you have to an individual, a young person who is hungry and ready to make a change, you know? And it's just interesting how these multi-billionaires will take their billions and just give them all away. And the rest of the world is kind of thinking, why well, have they done that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny what you say about Warren Buffett, right? The guy makes me laugh because he's one of the richest people in the world and he's still living in his middle class house. Uh, there's like middle class car and like completely like none of the material stuff, right? I find that so, so fascinating. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm curious to know, Mills, um, how do you find all your mentors and how do you actually turn someone from just a connection into a mentor and actually build that relationship with them? So I think the first thing I would say is um, understanding that if you want the attention of somebody who is very busy, you first of all need to be patient. If you're looking to uh, have somebody that's uh, um, a successful entrepreneur or somebody who's quite senior in a business, the one thing you're going to need to understand is that you're probably not the only one reaching out for the attention. You know, they probably have, I always tend to think that there are 20 other people as well as myself or reaching out for their attention. So I think the first uh, requisite I would say is, is patience, just being able to be patient and, and understanding um, that these individuals are busy, you know, you're not top of their mind, but I think what you need to do is be persistent in how you're reaching out to them. You know, um, I think for a lot of my mentors, this sounds ridiculous, but it, the, the average time that it's, it's taken me to um, have them board as mentors is probably like six months. You know, this is six months of kind of reaching out, um, going to events where they're going to be at. You know, if you really want something, you 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 essentially do it. You know, if you really want to achieve something, you, you essentially put in the effort to actually make sure that you actually get it done. So, you know, I, I would try and bump into them at events. I would send the messages on LinkedIn you know, I'll try and send them emails if I had their email. But I think when somebody sees your commitment to getting their attention, it gets their attention, you know, because most people give up after the first email, or the second message on LinkedIn, they'll completely give up. But I think, you know, having that patience to understand that these individuals are busy is the first requisite. But then second one, there needs to be a commitment from the mentee to essentially seek out mentorship, which sometimes can take months. And I think being able to accept that it will take time um, is, is is such an important factor when it comes to finding the right mentor. Mm, yeah, definitely. And also having that sense of abundance, right? It's like, okay, well, if this person um, 
doesn't vibe with me, then there are others. The world is full of mentors waiting to have a mentee. You know, abundance. It's a beautiful thing. There are 7.3 billion people on this earth. Um, if one mentor uh, isn't responding to you, you don't vibe, keep it moving. Keep it exactly. moving. Exactly. So Mills, before I ask you my final question, I would love to know what are some rules or rituals or habits or mindsets that you have in your life that set you up for success? Um, I'd say for me, the the number one thing that keeps me number one same, uh, number two accountable and keeps me going is I think for me my faith. You know, um, spending a lot of time with kind of God and I, I'm Christian. So spending a lot of time kind of praying and kind of reading the Bible um, and getting closer to God for me keeps me really sane because fundamentally I believe that everything I am doing, you know, was, 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 um, it belongs to God. You know, I am ultimately only just a steward of the business that I have or the family that I have or the graces or the anointings or anything that I have, I'm only but a steward of, of that. So for me, first and foremost is my faith and being solid and being grounded in my faith, faith, faith first of all. Um, and then I would say some some daily habits, you know, I think I, I, I try my best to, to get up in the morning every day. And uh, the first thing I would do is uh, drink water, drink probably like at least a liter of water in the morning just to kind of reboot the system. It sounds very strange but yes i know it's very strange but you know drinking a bit of water in the morning and then i would exercise you know i'd really really exercise i found actually that on the days that i don't exercise when i get up in the morning my days are completely different i think if you can win the morning you win the day and it's 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 such a it's such a true thing it really is such a true thing so um for me the three things i would say i've mentioned two of them the first one would be um, drinking that water in the morning just just to rebuild the system. Number two, um, exercise, and then the third one is is literature and just reading. You know, being able to to develop yourself. I believe that we're constant uh, students of of life, and uh, we, we're the best way to grow a business or the best way to grow anything or to develop yourself personally is to actually read. You know, they say leaders are readers, um, and that's because they they are always constantly exposed to so much different literature that supports them in how they grow personally and also in their business. So I'd say those three sit as fundamentals. Then some other things like the food, you know, I mentioned, you know, my turmeric tea and I mentioned, <laughs> you know, my dark chocolate, which I have. And then I mentioned some of my um, walnut herbs. So some of these other things, and what's this other one? This is uh, coconut oil. It's just like some of the other, you know, a, a, additional kind of life hacks and, and life things that just, you know, um, add on to the usual routine. Uh, but these are all usually a factor of, of brain function, brain production more than anything. But um, I think those three sit as the fundamentals to what I'm doing on a day to day basis. Yeah, I mean, who is an entrepreneur if they don't have every brain food on Tim Quick's <laughs> list? If you don't have that, are you even really an entrepreneur? That's be um, the quiz, Jesse. That yeah, like really, that, that, that should really be the quiz. Like, if you don't have all of Jim Quick's brain food, then are you really an entrepreneur? Are you really serious about, about making it big? Yeah, it's the next BuzzFeed quiz. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I think everything you're saying is really awesome. I found that the morning is everything. It really sets the whole tone for the day. And it makes total sense that you drink a liter of water in the morning because you haven't drunk for many many hours and so your body is deprived of water um yeah i've definitely found the same thing gives me that clarity and um talking of mentors right reading books are mentors as well books could be mentors books are written yeah. by people where people have distilled decades of knowledge into a book which is really really awesome and i think it's cool that you stay so connected to your faith I think it's really cool how that can give you a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose and keep you humble. And um, I think that's, that's really awesome. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. No, honestly, on, 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 uh, on the point around, uh, you know, your, your day-to-day kind of habits and keeping that, like that routine is so important. It sounds so mundane. It really does. Like doing the same thing over and over again. It sounds so mundane, but, the key to hitting your goals and to, and to getting to where you need to be is just consistency. 
You know, and consistency means you're getting yourself into daily habits and daily routines, um, which then lead to your eventual success in whatever space you want to go into. If you're looking at entrepreneurship or you're looking at, you know, going into work for a corporate or whatever it is you, you, you want to do, those daily habits make such a difference. They do, don't they? They really, really do. And they allow you to harness the exponentially amazing power of the compound effect where everything compounds over time exponentially, either in your favor or to this benefit, depending on the actions that you're taking, which is uh, really awesome. So my final question for you, Mills, is what are three key truths about the entrepreneurial journey that you would share with the young entrepreneur today? Three key truths. Oh, that is a very good question. You really got me thinking there, Yasmin, haven't you? <laughs> it always does. Three key truths. Um, the first one is preparing for failure. Is is a truth that I think every young entrepreneur has got to come to terms with before doing anything. You know, preparing for failure because you will you will fail. There will be things that you need to kind of iterate and go around. Um, but I think having been resilient and being able to kind of overcome that um, and understand, I think as you're going into entrepreneurship, that failure is 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 normality. The best entrepreneurs will fail. The best entrepreneurs have failed several times in what they're doing. Um, the other truth is don't underestimate the power of um, mentorship. I know we've just spoken about mentorship, but do not underestimate the power of mentorship. Mentors are so important. They are pivotal. Again, remember that ideology, remember that um, that um, um, that thought that actually if you go alone, you go fast. But if you go together with a group of people who have that collective knowledge and understanding, you will absolutely go far. Um, and then the third one is, you know, it, it, it might be a bit of a different one, but it's like when you start a business, when you're looking to go into entrepreneurship, you're looking to raise funding. Like I shared earlier, you're looking to, you want to raise X, you know, you see people raising millions and you think actually that's the route, you know, depending on your business, that might not be the route, you know, and you might be better off getting a, a loan from the bank. You might be better, you might be better off, you know, bootstrapping it. You might be better off looking at other alternatives because I think the misconception um, or the misunderstanding sometimes, especially with young entrepreneurs, is you have to raise. You know, I I have to, I was guilty of that. I thought, you know what, I gotta find an investor who's gonna give me a hundred grand, and that hundred grand is gonna solve all my problems. Depending on the business, sometimes that can't be. That isn't the best route. But I'd say definitely those three would be my my top three truths. Really powerful stuff. And pivoting off the last one as well, um, I think it's so interesting that rich versus king dilemma of the entrepreneur who wants control over their business, where it's like, okay, well then don't dilute your company by getting investor funding and don't don't join a VC. Like if you want a lifestyle business, do not sign up with a VC, which is basically worse than a job because it's way more stressful, <laughs> uh, right? Um, or, or do you want to be like, have the potential to be really, really, really rich? In which case, VC. Hmm might be the way to go maybe it's angels maybe it's you know several different things but uh yeah i think it's very important to be informed about all your options 100 percent. i think different entrepreneurs have different objectives some people actually just want to build a business and have that as a lifestyle business others want to be exponential and, and build you know a billion dollar tech company or a billion dollar lifestyle business or billion dollar clothing brand I think understanding where you fit into that is so important. I know nowadays, you know, we can be pulled into this whole hustle culture of, you know, you got to work, 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 and you got to raise X and sell that and do this. Understand yourself and be self-aware, you know, be really self-aware about what you really want and where you need to really be. And I think once you understand that, you can then figure out what the best funding route is for you. Or in fact, you might not even need funding. 100%. Really powerful mills. So do you have anything that you'd like to plug and where can people find you? Where can people find Tap In? Now is the time. Yeah, I would just generally just say that, you know, just thank you. First of all, I do. I honor you. I honor you, Yasmina. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity and for inviting me here onto your podcast. I really do appreciate it. For, for those that are looking to find me, um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Milimo Bandry. 
um, on Instagram, Mills underscore 10, and on Twitter as well, Mills underscore 10. So if you want to connect with me and find out anything about my life and what I do, those are the three platforms that you can find me on. Amazing. All right. All of that's going to go in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on Mills. I honor you too. I had an absolute blast. It's been really fun. I had I had fun. I, I've never had so much fun on the podcast, but thank you. Thank you so much for making this so easy and so fun. Yes, been okay. Thank you. Hey, awesome. Anytime. Do you ever feel like you put on a front to the world? I did an episode for this podcast with my friend Will Neda a while back called How to Hack Yourself and Live Life to the Fullest. And we were talking all about how many, many people bottle up their emotions. They mask their true feelings and their true selves with a fake smile. Firstly, because going through hard times is not something that people typically want to hear about. And secondly, because they're afraid to show the world their true colors. One thing that I really love is that Will likes to ask people, how are you really doing? Not how are you doing, but how are you really doing? Because that then gives them permission to open up, unburden, and be unashamedly themselves and feel lighter and more liberated in the aftermath. And one day Will himself was actually going through a tough time and he confessed to the person he was speaking to in that moment, I'm just low-key emotional. I just put on a front all the time. To which the immediate reply was, you should totally put that on a t-shirt. And boom, the low-key emotional streetwear brand was born. Will's passion for his brand truly oozes through in everything he does, and he essentially created this as a call to authenticity. A lot of us put on a front for the world of how we want the world to think about us instead of who we really are. We hide these parts of ourselves from others out of a fear that we will be judged negatively by others or that we won't be accepted for the person that we really are. So I want to ask you, what's your front? At the end of the day, the low-key emotional brand is all about facing your truth. So if you want to wear clothes like a hoodie, a cap, a bikini that actually stand for something real and keep your hustle low-key, I have an exclusive offer just for you as my podcast listener. With me, you get a 10% discount using the discount code YAS10. That's Y-A-S-10 at the checkout at lowkeyemotional.com. All of the links and the details are in the show notes. I gotta say, I have the hoodie myself. It's extremely comfortable. It looks incredibly hip. I love wearing it. And so if you're one of the cool kids, this is most definitely for you. Again, you can get a 10% discount using the discount code YAS10. That's Y-A-S-10 at the checkout at lowkeyemotional.com. And you too will be rocking the street look in no time. Again, all of the details are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Young Entrepreneur's Journey. This episode is recorded in London by Yasmina Ellens. The music for the show as well as the editing is done by Jake Babineau. If you've gotten anything out of this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend or liking it in the iTunes store. These things help more than anything else in reaching a broader audience and in turn will lead to better episodes for you to listen to. Thanks again and we'll see you in the next episode.